Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Talk to you about uh, God's heart for people. And, um, you know, the, one of our core values at Awakening Church is people are our heart. But people aren't our heart just because that's how it is naturally. Because your heart naturally is wicked and it's selfish above all things. Naturally, your heart is for you. But people become your heart when you begin to get God's heart because God's heart is for people. And so I'm praying our church increasingly gets the heart of God on it. And we increasingly show the heart of God to people. He loves his creation and and he loves, you know, his humanity. And I think there's this great story. I preached on it a couple weeks ago um, when I was talking about uh, one of our values being expectation. I preached on this story in Acts chapter 3 of the of the uh, the lame beggar at the beautiful gate. You can you can get that at the podcast, but I'm going to talk to you about part 2 from this, the fallout that happens. But the story goes that there was a a, a man that was lame his whole life, couldn't walk. And every day someone would bring him his friends or his family to the beautiful gate at the temple. In the temple is a giant complex and there's multiple gates to get in it. And one of them was the beautiful gate. It was adorned with silver and with gold. It was stunning. But right underneath it was a broken person. And right underneath it was someone who was begging for change under this stunningly beautiful gate. And Peter and John, they walk up to this man as they're entering into the temple. And the Bible says he sees them and and he looks at them expecting to receive something from them. What I think is interesting about this story is He's been lame for 40 years, but he still has expectation. And I just want to tell you today, you might be in a place where you feel like I've been like this my whole life. I want you to know there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. You might feel like, no, I'm broken beyond repair. I've got soul wounds that happened from my childhood or happened from a horrible relationship, and I'll never be healed. I want you to know there's still hope for you. There's no such thing as eternal brokenness when Jesus gets involved. There's hope for you. There's deep healing that can happen. Sometimes that's why you cry when you start pulling in the parking lot. When you're in worship, you say, I don't don't even know. I'm not sad. Why am I crying? God is healing some deep things. Some of the things you can't even verbalize, but God says, I don't even need you to say it. I'm going to go. I'm going to be, I'm going to bring healing. Some of you feel like I've been in this cycle of addiction for 40 years, I'll never break free. 40 years, I've been begging under the beautiful gate. I've never, I've never been free. I've never been able to walk in the temple. 40 years, I'm brought by, by the same people to the same place and doing the same thing. I want you to know there's still hope for you to be free from addiction. There's still hope for you to break out of cycles and patterns that you thought were over, but God can walk the right people up to you today. See, you thought you were coming just to see someone get baptized, but really God wants to change you. He wants to baptize you. In other words, you go, you put to death all the old things and you arise in a brand new life. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. Maybe you're in this place and you feel like, you know, it's, it's the sin in my life. It's just settled. It's concrete. It's just too hard. It will never be broken. I'm here to tell you today, there's still hope for you that Jesus came And I'm telling you, he overcomes all sin. There is no thing greater in your life than Jesus Christ's blood. And so this man has this moment where he sees the disciples walking up to him. And the Bible says he looks at them expecting to receive something from them. 
can't speak about this now. It's another sermon for another time. But let me tell you, don't ever underestimate the power of your expectation. Don't ever underestimate the power of your expectation. If you expect little, you'll always receive little. But when you expect great, that's when God gets involved. When you expect great, even of yourself. Young man, I'm saying do not expect little just because you're surrounded by mediocrity. Expect something greater of yourself. Say, I can do this. I am called. I got ideas. I got strength. I can bring my life together. It won't be easy, but I'm not going to allow mediocrity to be the output of my life forever. Some point I'm going to say, no, I got more on the inside of me. Don't expect little of yourself because it's easy to meet that expectation. Expect a level where God's going to have to show up. He looked at them expecting something from, I pray you come every single Sunday with expectation. I pray you come every Sunday with expectation. I pray you can't wait to get to church. You're not getting here on the final song. You're here at the first song because you, you, you need something. I, this is why you raise your hands because I'm, I'm expecting something. God, when you raise your hands, you're saying, God, right here. I don't know about them, but I know about me. God, I need hope right now. Come on, I need freedom right now. Come on, last night I had thoughts that I do not want to have. God, I need your thoughts right now. Me, Jesus. Some of you saying, send me, Lord. You get trying to get his attention during worship. I hope you come with expectation in the sermon. If I'm not preaching good, say amen more and watch how much better I'll begin to preach. Watch. There's power in your expectation. This isn't a performance. This is preaching. That's different than than performing. I wouldn't be a good stand-up comedian, but I can preach about Jesus. And let me tell you, this is no performance because you're part of it. When you say, that's good. When you say, amen. When you say, that's right. What are you saying? You're you're like the the lame beggar saying, I need something. You're not going to receive it from me. I'm just going to speak. The Holy Spirit's going to direct the words. He's going to go to your heart. He's going to go to your soul. He's going to go to your situation. Come on. He's going to go to your circumstances. Show up saying, I don't care what the pastor prepared. I need something today. And the Holy Spirit will direct me right into your situation. You're going to start shrinking in the, in the chair because I'm calling out all, I'm reading all your mail. Say, he's preaching right to me. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit's got something for you individually and corporately for all of us. He looked at them expecting to receive something. Peter, uh, Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Rise, get up and walk. It's amazing. He sat under silver and gold for 40 years, but financially there was no freedom. But when Jesus people shows up and the Holy Spirit enters into the situation, he strengthens the things that never worked before. He lifts you up out of a place you could never be lifted up out of before. The Bible says strength came into his ankles and he leapt up and began to dance. Things that he could have never considered before. Now when Jesus people show up, the supernatural begins to happen. I'm believing God's going to strengthen areas of your life that you could not ever strengthen on your own. I'm believing he's going to strengthen areas of your life where there was once only brokenness. Now there's going to be healing and renewal, your mind's going to be stronger than it's ever been before. Some of you have been struggling with mental illness. I'm believing the Holy Spirit can come in. He can begin to wash your mind, cleanse your thought, change your patterns, and your mind can be stronger than it ever was before. 
Some of you need physical healing and you've gone to doctor after doctor and they don't know what to do. You need to get around three Jesus people, begin to pray and let his Holy Spirit come in, bring guidance, bring healing, bring miracles. You need to walk out stronger than you've ever been before. I'm believing even the pain that you have gone through, God is going to use to bring a great miracle in your life that you now have a testimony to tell the whole world. And that's what happened. Here's the man that was outside the temple, not allowed inside the temple, jumps up and the Bible says he goes into the temple with Peter and John, singing, shouting, celebrating. Because when you get healed, you go to church a different way. All of a sudden, the crowd surrounding, because they saw this guy for 40 years, and he begins to testify about what happened. And Peter steps up, and he begins to preach. And the Bible says that the temple guards show up, and the Sanhedrin, they're frustrated. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection. Now here is Peter talking about resurrection. They, they, They didn't believe in miracles, and yet here's a miracle standing right in the midst of all of them. And so they arrest Peter and John, and and they keep them overnight in jail. They bring them out of jail the next day in front of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was all of the wealthy, lawyers, scribes, religious teachers, people of influence in the entire nation. They would gather 71 of them. And if they said you're to die, you're to die. If they, they were the ones that could raise you up or put you down. They were the ones that were all the geniuses They were all the the learned men and all of the technicals of the law and of God. They were the ones that put Jesus to death, that that accused him foolishly and and falsely. And so now here is Peter standing in front of them. And I want to read these verses to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 7 says this. And when they had set them, Peter, John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? How did you heal this guy? Because not only was Peter there, John was there, and the man that wasn't able to stand the day before is standing there. And they're saying, how did this happen? Was it evil spirits? Was it some sort of power we don't understand? Because we're the deciders. Yes, we could never heal that person, but now that you've healed him, we're going to decide just how you've healed him. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. That's boldness. That's boldness, I tell you. Peter was no joke. These were the people that, that crucified Jesus, condemned him to death. Peter doesn't not know who he's speaking to, and he doesn't know the ramifications of what he's saying, yet he stands there, and he speaks the truth anyways. And this Jesus, he says, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. I pray that God uses you in astonishing ways. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus by seeing the man who was healed standing beside them They had nothing to say in opposition. 
In other words, the greatest argument that, that God could ever make is the action of his people. They had nothing to say. They wanted to say what they were doing was wrong, but here's the guy just chilling right next to him. And you know he was smiling, you know, because he's standing, you know. He knows he might be in trouble, but this is, this is getting interesting right now. It's pretty good. Remember? Remember me? You guys never gave me any money, you know. Remember? You guys said silver and gold have enough, but you kept going. <laughs> These guys helped me. Verse 18. You might not see the humor in the Bible. I see it. It's hilarious to me. So they called, verse 18, so they called them, they sent them out, and they said, get out of here. We need to talk about this amongst ourselves. And they said, well, we can't do anything to him because the people are on their side, and that dude is healed, so what are we going to do? So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In other words, um, uh, you can uh, be nice guys, you can believe whatever you want, but don't you dare stand up and speak. But Peter and John answered them back, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you guys got to judge. You want to judge? Be the judge. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Or should we listen to God? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. One translation says we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. I pray we are the type of people that can't help but speak, declare, show of what we have seen God do and heard. Let's pray quickly. Lord, right now, just come in these next few moments and and speak directly to every single one of us. God, I pray you bring clarity. I pray you compel us to action. I pray today, Lord God, you turn us into people that have your heart for people. In Jesus' mighty name, not all God's people say, amen, 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 amen. You know, one of our core values is people are our heart. And uh, what I want to do is I want to add on to that core value. People are our heart, but I want to add on this phrase, and we will act to make a difference in their lives. People are our heart, and we will act to make a difference in their lives. In other words, we're going to be the type of church. We're going to be the kind of people that speak up for truth and show up for need. Come on, that was a moment you could have said amen right there. We're going to speak up for truth, and we're going to show up for need. It's amazing how many times those things really don't go together. It's amazing how many times people will speak up for truth, but when it's time to get help, they're nowhere to be found on Facebook. You were just posting all those articles. Where are you? It's amazing sometimes how those that, that, that uh, show up for need kind of have no convictions. But the church of Jesus Christ is called to speak up for truth and show up no matter what. I pray that gets in our DNA, church. I pray that gets in who we are. I pray that this literally begins to bubble out of us, that we are not afraid or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but more than just proclaim it, we're going to demonstrate it. We're going to show Jesus to the whole world. This is who we're called to be, the type of people we're called to be. And I want to I just go through this story and show you this is how God uses people because he wants to use you. And, and this is what it looks like when he begins to use people. The first thing that we see is a massive fallout from an incredible healing. This man gets healed. No one else could have done it. And the first thing that Peter and John find themselves in, the first situation they find themselves in, is in jail and then defending their actions, defending their life before the Sanhedrin, all of the rulers of religion. I, I, think, it's, I think it's ironic that it's because of their acts of kindness that religion, dead religion, gets angry. It's because of their acts of kindness that all of a the sudden there comes accusation. 
I just want to, for you to understand, you might think, you might be under the false impression that when you stand up, you speak truth, and you show up in need, everybody's going to love you. But that's not necessarily true biblically or historically. But nevertheless, we're called to show Jesus to the world, and we're called to bring acts of kindness everywhere we possibly can, despite the fallout, despite what our family says, despite what articles are written, despite the reality of the, the, the voices in your head. Because many times, that's the accusation. Many times, it's a dead religion that tries to stand up and say, hey, how can you ever speak up for truth when you're a screw-up? How could you ever say that when you screwed up over here? How could you ever show up there when you didn't show up then? And it tries to back you down into mediocrity. It tries to back you down into a nervous existence, a little pithy existence where you don't say anything, you don't make any waves, and you don't show up, and you don't help, and you, you don't post, and you don't, you don't pray, and you don't, you don't pioneer, and you don't do anything. And that's where religion and the enemy say, good, stay in your place. But when Jesus shows up, it's almost like Ezekiel says, there's a fire shut up in my bones. I got to do something. I got to say something. I might not even be 100% factually accurate in every single one of my sentences, but I got to say, I got to do something. I'm made to show up. Now, on the other side, when the voice, whether it's on Facebook or in your own head that says, well, have you done this? Well, have you done that? What about this? And what about that? What about, is the voice of dead religion that wants to call out the technicalities of your action instead of the heart of it. I don't mean to be yelling at you. <laughs> what I mean to, to do is, is awaken something on the inside of you. I'm looking for a fearlessness in our church. I'm looking for a steadiness in our church. I'm not saying we got all the answers, but we do know the answer and we can represent him to the world. And, and, and as we do it, we might find ourselves in strange situations, but nevertheless, we're called to do what we're called to do. You know, and I, and I just, I see this situation, I, 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 I understand it. You know, it's like nobody gets frustrated until you act where everyone else just talked. You know what I mean? Nobody gets frustrated until you begin to do something in an area where there was only discussion. You know? But it's the moment you begin to do something, that's when you start making waves. That's when you get labeled to be a troublemaker. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever found yourself in this situation? You do something at work that someone is someone else's job, but they weren't doing it. So you just said, fine, I'll clean the microwave, whatever. And then you get in trouble for it. No. Have you ever, have you ever done, have you ever been in a, a situation where someone's gotten frustrated or have you ever gotten frustrated at someone for doing your job that you weren't doing, but they did it and, but it was your job? Like, the other day, I came home and my wife bought a ring doorbell. You know those things? You know, so it's like video so you can catch everybody stealing your Amazon packages, you know? And it was, it was on our, our counter, you know? And when I walked in, I saw this ring doorbell and I got frustrated. I'm not going to lie. I got frustrated because I've been planning to transform our home into a tech home, you know, since we bought it. So for five years, I've been, I've been meticulously planning. I've been like looking up like those Tesla solar panels, you know, and they're way too expensive. And then I was looking up and I, I had looked, I looked into the, the whole ring doorbell concept or Nest doorbell. They got a couple different types and I was looking at the commercial grade ones, you know, I wanted outside cameras. I wanted 4k. I wanted the ability to zoom in facial rec recognition. I wanted to have like one of those, 
<laughs> Turned into a creep. I want to... <laughs> like, if you have nosy neighbors, they're able to take it to like FBI level, levels right now. And so like my, my goal was like get this incredible, you know, uh, video camera system. The only problem is I just planned it for four years and I never did anything. And I never bought anything. But when I came home and my wife bought the ring doorbell, she didn't buy the right one. You know, she bought the basic one, you know, but, but I wanted the commercialized one. You know, I had these, heard these plans. I, so I got, I got frustrated, you know, and I was hanging out with one of my friends and I was like complaining about it. I was like, dude, you know, I've been planning, I've been planning to buy this doorbell, you know, for like three years. And as I'm saying it, I'm like realizing, and you know, and like, and she just, she just actually did buy it. I got to give that to her. She did buy the, she did actually. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I see. I see how this, hmm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then it was there and, I, and she kept asking me to install it. And I'm like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then, you know, I'm not that good with tools. Let me tell you, they're, all, they're my wife's tools at, at my home. You know, I'm good with one thing and I'm doing it right now. And this is pretty much it. You know, this is, the, this is the only tool that I'm moderately okay at using right here. You know, if I could speak things into existence, I would have an amazing house, you know? But if I have to drill things into existence, you know, I, I probably wouldn't even have a home, to be honest, if it was just me. And so like at 6 a.m., I hear this strange new doorbell sound. I walk downstairs, I said, what are you doing? I'm so frustrated. And she's got like her gear on, she's got like a, a helmet light on, and she's installing, she's, she's like, she's shut down, you know, like all, she, she's doing, she's like taught herself like electrical wiring. And I'm so frustrated, I said, I, I would have done that. It's, it's only been like six weeks, I would have done it. Have you ever gotten frustrated that someone else is doing something that you know you should do and you know you could do, but yet you just, you didn't do it? It's interesting. That's what dead religion is like. It's all right if you come to church. It's all right if you clap. It's all right if you sing. But the moment you begin to rise up, dead religion's voice starts getting frustrated. That, that, that voice in your own head, that, that, that other voice on the outside begins to say, whoa, 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 who are you? Who, I've been planning this for six years. You know, we've been planning the perfect baptism. We were going to go out into the ocean. Everyone's going to be wearing white. There was going to be a choir. We're just saying, look, we're just going to baptize these people because we got more coming on the way, you know? We're not going to get caught up in perfection. We're going to just move, you know? And it's like, it's interesting. Dead religion, it, it always rears its ugly head when Jesus' followers begin to act. But yet we still must act. We can't get, we can't get uh, caught in mediocrity, always planning, but never acting. Hebrews puts it this way. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works. Because here's the reality. You have to stir up one another to love in good works. Why? Because love doesn't naturally come out of you. And good works don't naturally come out of you. What naturally comes out of you is frustration and apathy. That's your natural state. That's why you need to get around a Peter and a John. You need to get into areas where people have real needs and begin to stir each other up. Say, we got to pray for this thing. Come on, we got to raise support for this thing. Come on, we got to show up. For this. We got to stir each other up. Have you ever left like soup or a sauce or whatever unstirred over the day and it begins to congeal and it gets all nasty on the top? That cannot be your Christian life. It cannot be what your faith looks like, congealed and gross. You need to keep this thing stirring. You got to get around other people that awaken something on the inside of you. 
You need to come to church more than once every four months because you're going to get stirred up to love and good works. Because if I don't get stirred up, if I don't get around those people, all of a sudden I just back down, I get quiet, I stay where, and, and I can never do something for those that have a real need. Peter and John, they show up and they begin to act. And let me tell you, your action awakens others to action. Bible says they saw their action. Then they, they confronted him to try and quiet him, scare him down. But Peter steps up and all of a sudden they see on him, this guy's got boldness on his life. There's something different on him. Let me tell you something. There's something different on you. There's something different on you. People can see it. People can sense it. I pray you get a boldness on the inside of you. Now, whenever we talk about boldness, a lot of times what you think boldness is, and sometimes how it's presented by preachers and even myself, is boldness is like standing up here with the mic shouting, come on, I'm unashamed of the gospel. Everyone's like, boldness. But you know what boldness actually looks like is in in trying times, I don't crumble. In frustrating times, I, I don't get so overwhelmed that I defeat myself. Boldness, a lot of times, is quiet. It's an inner strength. And this is where Peter stands up, and he stands up in boldness, and he just says, I'm not going to back down. So I don't think boldness is something that you can uh, go and get. I do believe boldness is something that you can receive. How do you get boldness? You need to get around the source for boldness. You need to get around God and get around God's things. Instead of asking God to bless your things, you need to get around God's things because they're already blessed. And when you get in God's things, all of a sudden you begin to get what's on God's things, which is favor, which is anointing, which is which is security. It begins to get on you. And that's where your boldness begins to come from. Something begins to, to change. Why? Because because you become partnered with God. You become partnered with God. Again, it's not a mission. It's a co-mission. You become partnered with the Almighty, and that begins to change your approach. Remember when I was learning how to drive? Um, I, my mom initially tried to teach me how to drive, and uh, that didn't go well, to be honest with you guys. It, 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 was, uh, it was an explosive situation, you know, because I was 16, and I, I wasn't that convinced at that time that my mom was all that good of a driver anyways, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm still not all that convinced, but definitely at 16, I was not convinced, you know? And, and so she's telling me all of this conflicting information, you know? I'm trying to figure this out. I'm nervous. She's really nervous. I'm probably nervous because of how nervous she is. It's just, it's just a cycle, people. It was just horrible, you know? And so finally, you know, it got to that, you know, inevitable explosion. My mom says, that's it. I'm not teaching you how to drive. I'm going to call a service, you know? A uh, teach you how to drive, sort of driver's ed, something like that. The next day, this old, old, old dude drives up in an even older car. I mean, this, this guy, I trusted him. He had a lot of wisdom. You know, he had a lot of wisdom in driving. When this guy first started driving, to turn his car on, he had to go outside and crank it. That, that, that's this dude, you know? And he, he invites me to, you know, to learn how to drive. And so, as we start going, I'm still nervous, and, and he's directing me this way and that way, but one time I go a little bit too far into the lane, and all of a sudden the car brakes without me touching the brake, and I realize this guy's got his own special brake over here to stop me from doing something dumb, and I'm telling you, in that moment, I was free, because I realized we're co-partners in this thing. 
you got some responsibility now. Whatever I do, you're, you're a part of it now. And I'm telling you, I just, I mean, I went into, I, I started driving like I was part of the fast. I was like Vin Diesel. I was part of the fast and furious. I'm going, I'm going on the highway. I'm merging, you know, I'm parallel parking without the backup cameras or the sensors. I'm just going for it, you know? And then this guy, we started getting to his zone. He's like, left, right, right, left, left, straight, right. And I'm, I'm going, you know, and then it left, right. And then we're kind of off the highway. Now we're on like a, like a, a normal path. Now we're off like on a dirt road. Now we're pulling into a, like a suburban house. And he goes, all right, right here. And I pull into a driveway. He goes, all right, park. He gets out and goes inside a house. And I'm saying like, we were, we were really doing something here, but what's happening, you know? 10 minutes later, this guy walks out with a coffee and a ham and cheese sandwich. And he says, uh, see you later, honey. And he goes to get the, this dude, this dude had me drive him to his house. The smartest driver's ed instructor ever. Now, let me tell you something. You're not doing this thing alone. You got God on your side. He's telling you left, right. You go too far, he can back you down. He can get you going. When you partner with God, you drive your life a different way. You begin to make your actions a different way because God is in charge. He shares the responsibility in this thing and he's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's never abandoned you before. He's never let you down before and he's not going to now. So it literally, that's where the boldness comes from. Not from me. See, if it has to come from me, of course I'm overwhelmed. If it has to come from me, of course I'm filled with anxiety. Of course I'm timid. Of course I'm nervous. But when I partner with God and I know he's hearing my prayers and I know he's got my back and I'm doing his thing and he's in my thing, all of a sudden I'm living my life a different way. Even this week, I, I was in multiple situations where I felt like I was overwhelmed. And I kept having thoughts saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm the right guy. But every time I had those thoughts, I, I had to respond in my own mind, God, you got me into this. I kept saying it. God, you started this. I didn't create me. I didn't call me. I didn't choose me. God, you started this. So Lord, don't let me down. Lord, be with me in this. Lord, direct me. Lord, guide me. And he has before. He will now. And he will again. Come on. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end and everything else in between he is involved with. Even when you're walking through perilous places, he's standing beside you. He's got you. And from that, you begin to get a new boldness on you. And he begins to speak. And, 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 and they say uh, that they perceived that Peter was unskilled and he was untrained. And they marveled. Because here was all the skilled. Here was all the trained. These people had gone to every class. You know, they, 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 had, they went through their catechism. I don't know. They... they they learned every book of the Bible. They understood the Torah this way and that. They were baptized. They had it all going on. And here was a normal guy that was boldly defending and there was no way in. I mean, there was just, there was just something about him that he was unafraid and, and God was using him in a mighty way. And, and he, was, he, was, he was like supposed to not be there. And yet he was outsmarting everybody in the room. And the Bible says they just marveled. I want to talk today to the people that feel unqualified. I want you to understand your qualification does not come from your past, your experience, your job, or even yourself. Here's Peter. 
and he's standing in front of all of these people. It's amazing. God used fishermen to start a worldwide revolution. God used fishermen to stand down the Sanhedrin and the empire of Rome. God used Peter. God used Peter, the the, the one who denied him, the one who denied him on, on that fateful night. He used Peter to now be filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly declaring about that night where they crucified Jesus. Do you want to talk about being unqualified? He betrayed Jesus in the moment of his crucifixion. This to me is one of the most most human moments in scripture. Because the Bible says that as he denied Jesus for the third time to a little girl, she says, weren't you with him? And he says, I don't even know him. Flips out. Not only was I not with him, I don't even know the man. The Bible says he starts cursing. Some of you have a lot in common with Peter. And in that moment, Jesus is across the courtyard and he locks eyes with Peter. And you know what was amazing is there was no condemnation in that. You know, there was no frustration in that. There was no anger in that. There were the eyes of forgiveness. Maybe you say, I feel unqualified because of what I used to do or what I've been through or, or the things I've done. You've got to understand, did you betray Jesus on the night of his crucifixion to his face? Because if not, you're, you're doing okay. No matter what you've done, you're in good company. God knows, he sees, he understands, and yet he looks at you today with the eyes of forgiveness. He qualifies you because of who he is, not because of what you've done or not done. In fact, this is the man that he chooses and makes the head of the church. And now we see just two chapters later, he's healing people, he's boldly speaking. I wonder what God could do with you in a couple years. I wonder what God could do with you. You could be faithful. What about Saul? Saul's there for the first Christian murder. He advocates it, and then he goes on a rampage. And then he stops it out in Jerusalem, and he begins to chase Christianity out to Damascus. And on the road, Jesus meets Saul, and he says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? He says, I'm not coming after you. I'm going after them. Jesus says, I am them. When you persecute them, you're persecuting me. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do unto me. And so the one that persecuted Christianity, God chooses to be the greatest defender of Christianity. He goes from completely unqualified to radically being used by God. Let me tell you something. You're qualified for this one reason. This one reason. This one reason. They say it right here. They could tell that these men have been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, you get something else on you. Come on, when you've been with Jesus, you get something else in you. When you get with Jesus, you begin to get his mind and his actions and his, his spirit and his, his vibe. That's what qualifies you. Jesus and Jesus alone. You need to be with Jesus and around Jesus' people. This is why you need a crew. You need a good crew because you need to get around other Jesus' people And your faith begets their faith. Your action stirs them up. Come on, your prayer begins to stir them up. This is why you need a good, good crew. You know that it said that you are the sum total of the five closest people in your life. I actually heard it uh, even brought one step further, that your health, 
and your financial situation, your happiness and your future is the sum total of the five closest people in your life. So let me tell you, you need to get around some good people. You need to get around a good crew. What I love about crew is that if there's a need in that crew, I pray the church takes care of it, but the crew is the church. I pray we're financially helping each other in crew. I pray we're, we're, we're praying for each other in crew. That's what we see in the book of Acts. You need to get some good friends. You need to get some good friends. But I found a cheat code to this thing, and I'm going to let you in on it. I think it's going to help you. If you are the sum total of the five closest people in your life, one of those people can be Jesus. One of those people can be Jesus. I don't care if the four other people are total jokers. If one of them is Jesus, you can get a new mind, you can get a new heart, you can get new reactions. Come on, he's got greater, he's got more. When you've been with Jesus, you begin to get a boldness on you. You begin to get a desire for action. You can't stay quiet, you can't sit still. You gotta do something, say something. You gotta get around the right people and begin to step up because Jesus did not save you for you to sit down. He saved you for you to bring salvation to others in the mighty name of Jesus. The story concludes like this. The Sanhedrin was frustrated. They were angry, but it says, but seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. In other words, God will use your life, your actions, his power to shut the voice of accusation against you. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.